Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. This is where we are. We're in a series right now. We're kind of just going through and encapsulating all of our core values and beliefs. And it's not an in, you know like a forward indoctrination program. It's just we're, we're, we're streamlining a lot of this because, you know, as Ted said, you guys keep bringing people, and you guys are good about that, you know, meeting people and bringing them, and people sometimes are reluctant about a storefront church, but, you know, what they get over that when they come in here and feel the love and acceptance and hear the gospel and think, my goodness, why didn't anybody ever tell me? You know, that's like one of the biggest testimonies we get. Why didn't I know? Why didn't anyone tell me? It's not like we've got it all figured out. We just focus on the gospel. We actually preach the new covenant. Amen? Amen. So we're clicking through these, and the first one is God is good. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. One of the things that we want to do is change the way people see God because people see God still from an old covenant filter, and he's good and only good. Amen? Jesus showed us who God is, and if we want to understand God, we look at Christ. And the next one. And I, you know, I almost want to re-preach all of these, but Jesus is enough. And all these messages are up, and there's blogs and scriptural references and everything, but Jesus is enough. He's enough for your righteousness. He's enough for your redemption. He's enough for your holiness. He's enough for your sustained acceptance before the Father. He's enough. His sacrifice makes you complete. Amen? For the Father. And then the paradox is what you've been given in Him and His sufficiency you let that work out into the rest of your life in this world. You're a new creation. And this is probably one of the hardest corners to turn is understanding that you are not still a sinner that happens to be saved by grace. You are a new creature in Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And the next one, grace is transformative power. And typically, we hear grace and mercy, and they're used interchangeably. You know, mercy is like, well, you know what? You deserve punishment, but I'm going to give you mercy. Mercy is kind of like it's not getting away with something. It's just choosing to not hold that fault against them. Praise God. He's merciful. Amen. But grace is an influence on your heart that brings capacity that actually generates transformation. Where you are now as a believer is needing to experience transformation. You don't need to get more holy. You don't need to get more righteous. Jesus took care of all that. You need to renew your mind to experience transformation. If you ever wonder what you should be doing as a believer, if you don't know your call, just focus on mind renewal to experience transformation. Amen? And then today is trust God. I mean, this one is probably the most basic I don't really have anything new that I want to say, but I want us to realize one thing, and, and it's pretty much summed up in this. Now, it, see, it's interesting because people misunderstand this message to say, well, you know, you're either being soft on sin or you're, you're saying that you, you're just okay where you are and you don't have to do any good works or anything like that. And it's like, no, it's weird that you think that when you hear this message because you're so carnal and sin conscious, but that's not what we're talking about at all. In fact, under this gospel, 
there's more responsibility because you don't have that old dead man defining who you are to drive your character and your behavior. You actually have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus in you defining what kind of being you are. And then God expects you to actually live that way. It's just that if you, like Paul said, he said, beloved, my little children, I pray that you don't sin. Or he says, actually, don't sin. But if you do, isn't that, it's like, that should, isn't that interesting? This is yes. <laughs> Think about it. Don't sin. Because you hear that. Don't sin. God's angry with sin every day. You know, don't sin. But if you do, I mean, this is Paul. Paul's the one that after he'd preached, they'd say, are you saying that we should just keep sinning? He's like, no, God forbid. Why? You, what? Are you kidding me? I don't know why you're still talking about that. I'm, we've moved on from that. Right? But there is an element of trusting and obeying God. At, here, here's what I want to say. This whole message can be encapsulated, encapsulated in this one statement. At some point, you have to make a decision that you're actually going to trust God. With every area of your life. And trust means believe, have confidence in, and obey. There's two really, there's two main words that we get this idea of faith and trust and obedience from. There's the Greek word uh, pistis, which is faith. And faith means assurance or belief. And the root word of that is pytho, it, which is translated trust, and it means to be persuaded of or to have confidence in. So in other words, when you hear Jesus talking about great faith and little faith, if you want great faith, and you know, he rebukes them for having little faith, it's not a commodity that they have more of or don't have. And it, you know, we're, a lot of times in certain circles, we're taught to kind of have more faith than our faith. It's like if you want your faith to be stronger, you got to get more of that faith stuff. And it's like, where do I find more faith? You know, how, how do I get more faith? Well, biblically, when you look at the definitions of these words, it's actually, it means to be persuaded. It means to be confident. So for you to be in great faith is to be more confident in who God is. It's not like you get more of something. It's that you're more convinced that God is who he really is. And see, this is why we focus so much on, on the character of God who God is, who you are in him, what he's done for you. Because if you get that component in place, it fixes everything else that religion tries to, you know, give you lists for. Seven steps to this and 12 steps to that and eight steps to this. And it's like, well, how about I just start at step one? <laughs> I am complete in Christ. Amen. Now, I'm not saying there's not process. You know what I mean? And I'm not bashing programs. I'm just saying... It's got to be from a spiritual understanding that you're complete in him, and then you move on from there. But the interesting thing about trust and obey is we like to dissect all that stuff. You know, people say, faith without works is dead. Therefore, if you don't have works, then you're not saved. It's like, what? How did you get not saved from dead faith? You just somehow tied those things together, and James is not even talking about that. You ever heard that? Well, the faith without works is dead. Therefore, if you don't have good works, then your faith is dead and you're not saved. That's like saying, 
one plus two equals three, therefore 27. It's like, I'm with you till you get to three, but what, 27? That, that's religious math is what that is. You see what I'm saying, though? What he's saying is, James is specifically talking about, don't be blaming all your bad stuff on God. Yes, when you're in the midst of it, trust him because you can learn and he can teach you. But don't say that it's from God. It's the good stuff that's from God. That's pretty much chapter one. Then the rest of the book is about 12 different teachings on specific things. And he's like, you rich people, don't be favoring each other in the front row and ignoring the poor people in the back of the church. You know, take care of them as well. And then he goes through all these things. And he's like, your, your works should reflect your salvation. Your work should reflect, you know, that you actually trust God. Your faith should produce works. You know, James kind of teaches it more from a, and when I say carnal perspective, I don't mean evil or bad. I just mean physical. James tends to focus on the fruit of what your faith should produce. But to say that you have dead faith doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means that your faith is not active in that moment. And it really means that you're not persuaded of who God is and who you are in him in that moment to live in that power. So if your works are not reflecting the righteousness that you've been given in Christ and that you've been made, it's because for whatever reason in your heart, you're not confident in that area in God, in who he is in you, right? It's not like this thing that you got to work on and get better at and figure out how to do right and then once you start really doing that really well, then that means you've reached another level of faith or holiness or righteousness. It's like, no, I have forgotten that I'm forgiven, and I need to retool back on this idea that I'm complete in him. But trust and obey really go hand in hand, and it has everything to do with listening to God inwardly and meditating on who he is. You know, religion is not an external exercise. It's an internal awareness that you live out from a relationship. You know, the Bible Project. Anybody been going through the Bible Project? Have you discovered that yet? George, George, uh, George, Ted, and Georgie. Huh? Anyway, thebibleproject.com. And I would urge you, if you're looking for a good um, Bible reading program, What's really cool is they've taken the books of the Bible and they've arranged them chronologically so that if one prophet is prophesying about something, the event actually comes afterward rather than being mixed around. We don't realize that the books aren't in chronological order. So they've done a great job of putting it in good order. There's an app. Um, I think it's called Read Scripture. They've got a YouTube channel that everything is free, and they go through and they start telling you how to understand Hebrew literature and how to understand different literary styles in the Bible and how to keep an entire book of the Bible in context so you don't miss the point. Well, they've done a great job with the idea of hearing and listening and obeying because to trust God is to obey. To trust God, to be confident in God, in who he is, when God says, I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, your provider. I am your protector. I am your deliverer. I am your sufficiency. And you need to experience some aspect of his character revealed in his name. You're needing to experience that. There's something that you're going to have to do in the experiential process. In other words, you actually have to start making decisions and life choices consistent 
with who he is and the wisdom that he gives you in that area. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes us grace folks, we're like, praise God, I'm saved. I ain't doing nothing anymore. (laughs) And you fall in that ditch for a little while, and then you realize, I want to serve God. I want to love people, you know? And then it rises back up within you. And and you don't want to do it from that legalistic perspective, but we do want to obey. I mean, how many of you want to do everything that God would want you to do? Amen. And that's, that's obedience. Obedience is not, here's the list of rules, now do them, and if you don't do them, God's upset with you. You're not under that covenant any longer. Praise God. But let's watch this video here, and then we'll kind of chat about it a little bit. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son, and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because, she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. Isn't that good? 
Man, I'm telling you, this is a great ministry, great website. How many of you are accessing their stuff? You've watched some of the videos. Yeah, more of you. Jump in there. Uh, they're, the one on um, holiness is incredible because it pitches, it, it paints the picture of holiness that's, uh, you know, consistent with what the new covenant would actually say. But so like what he said in there is that there's no word, there's no separate word for obey in Hebrew. God never had the concept that he wanted you to obey from just rule following perspectives ever. He always wanted it to be where you listen and to listen ultimately is listening with the heart. He's always been after your heart. He's always been after you internalizing and processing and digesting what he gives you and then it producing an action. We are still acting like we're cut off from God under this new covenant. And we're still so legalistic that we will pray, God, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. God, I just need, if I just know what I'm supposed to do, then everything will work out. Well, maybe not because your heart's not involved in the process. You're not listening. You're not focused on. You're not paying attention to the word of God inwardly. Joshua talks about it. He says, he who meditates on the covenant, on the, the law, which is basically God's wisdom, day and night, he'll be successful. That's a promise. It's not a formula. It's a relationship. And see, we have areas where we're trying to trust God, but we're not listening. We're not pondering deep within our hearts his wisdom in that area. So when I say that we actually have to trust God at some point in our lives, in every area of our lives, you have a specific area in your life that you'd like to see change. What does God say about that area? And are you seeking it because you're looking for a rule or a formula? Or are you seeking it because you want your mind in agreement with him and your heart full of his wisdom and you've decided that whatever he says is the truth and I'm going to let that bear fruit within me. I'm going to deep, deep, deep inwardly ponder and listen and hear and the, the fruit will follow. Amen? Amen? And so we stop short, though. It's like we come and we hear a good message or we hear some good news and we're, you know, it makes us feel good. And then we think, well, bless God, I believe that God is good. And I believe that God's good in every single area of my life. But you know what? I've got this secret life over here that I'm just not either telling anybody else about <laughs> or I've got my church face on and when I go home, that it's like the rest of my life is chaos and I don't, you know, that God stuff, it just doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me like that. You ever felt that? You're not listening. You're not pondering. See, because God is good. God has nothing but good plans for you. And under this new covenant, he is not holding your sin against you. And I've said it, but I, honestly, I don't think we as Gentiles are even this far removed from the old covenant understand what that even means. But, you know, if we were Jews trying to live under the law, we would understand deeply what it meant that God is not holding our sin against us. See, we as legalistic Gentiles hear, well, you're saying you can get away with sin. Those guys would have heard, 
oh my gosh, we can relate to God as our Father. And we're not externally trying to approach Him. The relationship has changed. They hear a change in relationship. We hear a change in law. You just do. Your friends that are out there, the ones that you're going to invite to church, appreciate that. Preachers always got each other's back on that, you know. <laughs> but think about it. The ones that you have, and you're trying to have these kinds of conversations with them, and you're saying, well, God's not holding my sin against me. God's nothing but good. God's already judged Jesus in my behalf. And then they respond, and they say, well, what about good works? Well, what about if you sin? Are you saying you can just do whatever you want? Have you had those responses? That's what people will say. And it's like, no, we're not talking about law. We're talking about relationship. Of course not. They did it to Paul. They're going to do it to you. But have your answer in understanding. And, and it's popular to say, well, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, what does that mean exactly for you? Do you have such a relationship inwardly with God where you understand what that phrase means? It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And for that relationship to be true and, and, and fully realized in what God desires, it's a relationship that you yield yourself to, to be shaped and transformed, not just say, I understand some information about a new covenant, but I'm going to continue on in the rest of my life. We don't want to be hypocrites. And the world is looking at us. And see, the reason we're so angry and judgmental toward the world is because we're angry and judgmental at ourselves because we know better. You still have this internal moral code and guidance system from God that desires righteousness, that desires your fruit to match what he's done with inside of you. But it comes from listening. And, and honestly, this is like when I, when I counsel people or when I get to this point, and you, you, get to, you get down to the nuts and bolts when people are laying their hearts out there and they want their life to change, and you start talking to them about meditating and pondering God's wisdom and promises deep within your heart and letting that actually fill your mind, and you actually start coming into agreement with that and trusting that through mind renewal you will experience transformation, people either get it and start walking that path or they say, I don't understand and don't walk the path. I'm telling you. It's the way it is. So you can't, in, you, can't in, you can't make people attach their hearts to God's wisdom. You can't make people listen. I mean, there are some people that it's Bible only, all that spirit stuff was done away with to start the church. Well, I'm not going to go there. We'll just keep on going. I'm just going to keep on going on this one. But this is why... You can trust God. Let's, let's look at this in Matthew 6. You can flip over to Matthew 6, and I'm going to close on this. But So the idea of your life changing and you listening and obeying is an internal heart process. But this is why you can do it. This is why you can do it. Now, this is Matthew 6. This is right after Jesus taught the Beatitudes, which is a master class of Jesus teaching the law. But what he's doing is what is revealed in Galatians 3, and it's the law reveals your sin and shows you that you need a Savior. That's what Jesus was doing when he was teaching the Beatitudes. He taught it to such a high level, to the level of the heart, that they would say, well, who can be saved? 
You know, after Jesus would teach the law, that was the response. Well, how am I going to get saved? And he's like, you are listening because now I can actually give you the solution. I've given you the law to the level of impossibility. Now you've heard it. Now, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Why are all things possible with God? Because of his heart toward you. This is where that transformation takes place, is understanding his heart toward you, getting on board with that, listening, not trying to hear a message as he's going to give you some kind of word or not. You know what I mean? Like we li- when we think I'm going to listen to God, it's like well, he's going to tell me some information. <laughs> give me some information, God. You, you understand? I need to know something I didn't know before because that's my problem. I don't know something. Knowledge will complete me. No, it's not the knowledge or the information. It's that, oh, it's that aha moment of something that you've known your entire life. And it makes a shift within you and revelation happens within you and you see it and then it changes you and you live from that. But it's because of God's heart towards you, you can engage in that kind of relationship. So after he preaches the Beatitudes and he's talking to them about how to pray, don't be standing on the street corner waving everybody, trying to impress everybody with your long sin. I mean, your long prayer. Wow. (laughs) Be not therefore like, you know what? I forgot to tell you. Can we go with the NIV? Is that hard to change that? I know you probably, let's just stick with this. Be ye not, gosh, therefore like unto them, for your father knows what you, what things you have need of before you ask. See, this is a passage revealing an aspect of the character of God that you must align your heart with. Because when you pray and I pray, we don't believe that God already knows what I need. Think about it. God, you're not God, you don't even care. <laughs> You've prayed something like that in some form like that. He knows what you need before you ask. You believe that? Okay. Then what does he do with that? Verse 25. Oh, good, you got it. Therefore, so again, he's talking about prayer, and then he does kind of change subjects, but, and I don't like to lift this out, but what he's about to do is reveal to you more of the heart of God towards you. And you've all read this. You've all... This is nothing new to you, but I want you to see we're talking about listening. We're talking about hearing God. We're talking about obeying God. We're talking about trusting God, being persuaded that what God says is true, and if I will live that way, it will produce blessing into my life, not because I've kept a rule, but because I've lived in agreement with the instructions, so to speak, right? God built this place. He designed it. You live the way he says to live, which is in righteousness, peace, and joy, you will experience blessing. Not because you've kept a law, but because you're in this relationship, you trust him, right? And you can trust him because of his heart towards you. I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear, Is life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds. I mean, imagine this, right? Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
are they not, are you not much more valuable than they? Hang, hang on that one just for a second. Think about that. Birds out there, right? You walk outside, there were some doves over here. They've kind of hung out for a while. You hear those doves, woo-woo-woo. You don't hear them. God, feed me, God, feed me. <laughs> if I don't get a worm today, I'm going to die. You ever heard a bird say that? Those trees out there, right? Those trees, you hear them going, I got I to grow some flowers, you know. I mean, right? Are you not much more valuable? You're the pearl of great price. You are what God gave everything for to have. This is his heart toward you. This is why you can trust. This is why you can take his word, his wisdom, hold it within your heart, and it will change your life and produce fruit in your life because this is his heart towards you. He values you. Next verse. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I think I'm going to look this way. Most of us pray all night, but really it's worry. I mean, prayer and worry. Anyway, let me keep going. You know what I'm saying. Don't confuse your worrying for prayer. Well, God, I just, you know, like you think you're talking to God. And he's listening and he cares. But your heart is so far away from being persuaded of who he is and his heart towards you because you're speaking to him, but in your mind, you are imagining death. You are imagining that job loss. You are imagining the worst possible scenario as you pray. And it invokes emotion within you and you're sitting there worrying. When you pray, if you are not more confident in God, you're doing it wrong. When you pray, if it doesn't leave you with a sense of peace, now you might have a sense of urgency because there's purpose in what God might bring alive and, and there's and a sense of responsibility because God will say, okay, well, if you really meant that prayer, then I will lead you and guide you because you've acknowledged me, I will lead you and guide you. But that might mean you got this, you got to clean up this mess over here. Ooh, I don't like that, God. Give me something warm and fuzzy. <laughs> you have to be willing to actually act on the inspiration after you pray. And prayer is not worry. That's a side note, but anyway. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor, they don't, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these, the richest man ever. Well, maybe. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow's thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? He's, he's addressing their persuasion of his character on him. He's addressing how confident they are in how much he values them. Trusting God. Trusting God is being persuaded that he is who he is. 31. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or drink or what do we wear? 
Now, this is not, you know, what am I going to wear tonight? <laughs> this is fretting over provision, right? For the pagans, run, all, uh, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Now, just real quick, where's the kingdom? Where's the kingdom? The kingdom of heaven doesn't come with outward observation. It's not who's going to go up and bring it down or go down and bring it up. It's near you. It's in you, right? Kingdom of heaven is within. So if you're going to seek the kingdom, where are you going to seek it? All right. And, and his righteousness. Well, what do you know about righteousness? He who knew no sin became sin so that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? You are the righteousness of God. So when this is talking about seek the kingdom and his righteousness, it's not where is that kingdom? Let me go find it. Let me go. I'm going to go down to this place because it looks like revival is happening down there. And I'm going to go down there and I can find the kingdom. Or that church over there, I really like the way they preach because I feel warm and fuzzy over there. And I'm going to go find the kingdom over there. And in my behavior, I don't see righteousness, so I'm going to go find some way to get more righteous. When you're not seeking externally the kingdom or righteousness, you're acknowledging inwardly that it's in there. You're acknowledging that you're just like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're joined to it. You're connected to it. It's in you. You are a resident of it. You are an ambassador of that kingdom. You are in this earth, in place of Christ, fully equipped to represent him on this planet. That's what you should think about the kingdom. Because you hear things like that and you start thinking, well, I've got to go find something. Don't let, it, don't let that happen. Ultimately, I think what he's doing here is he's saying, look, God knows what you need before you ever even ask. So don't worry. You're valuable to God. And what you need to do is focus on what he's done inside of you. You're connected to his kingdom. You are in right standing with him. And as you stand in that, everything you need is added to you. God is not withholding anything. But it comes as we trust and obey. But obedience is getting your heart involved, not just doing an action. You can no longer pray, God, just tell me what to do, and think that you'll just do that action without something happening internally, some type of character changing happening, sometimes seeing a different perspective, being willing to change. We're so legalistic in our thinking. It's like, I'm just going to do Christianity, but I'm going to stay who I am. Well, no, it's, it's like the other way around. Get your heart involved. And don't let man-centered religion put a yoke of bondage on you that God has lifted off of you in Christ. Trust. Obey. I'm just thinking of this last idea. You know, Jesus is out there in the storm, and he jumps up, calms the storm, rebukes them. Oh, ye of little faith, he tells them. And they're like, you mean... I'm supposed to have faith enough to make this wave stop? And I think he would have said, no, you're supposed to have faith enough in me. 
That's what Christianity is, being persuaded of who he is. Because when you see him for who he is, it changes who you are. You got some things in your life you want to change? See him in that area. And trust. Trust to the degree that you are willing to let your life change and your choices and your behaviors and your thought process. Well, I don't know. You're talking about doing something that's impossible. It is impossible. But with God, it's not. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your character. Thank you that we can trust you. We're making the decision right now in this moment to trust that you're smarter than we are. (laughs) And, And as much as I can in this moment, I am making the decision to get my heart involved in this relationship with you. I'm going to let you into those areas that I think I'm hiding from you, to those areas where there's pain, to those areas where it's, it's I'm not willing to admit the truth about myself even in that area. God, I, I just, I want everything out of the way. I want to be completely yielded to you. I want to be fully confident in your love toward me, your attitude toward me because you value me. I am your beloved child. And I trust you. I yield to you. I yield to you with the intention of making different choices. I trust you with the intention of actually changing my life as I follow you. So that you be glorified. So that people would see your power through my life. And desire you.